Hi, welcome to the Early Value NFL Betting Podcast. On to week eight already and the season is flying by. Tonight, get, tonight's guest is one of the top handicappers around and also one of the best fantasy football players around in the industry. On NBC Sports and NBC Sports Edge, I've got John Daigle with me. John, how are you? Doing great. Thank you for the kind words. I am admittedly still waiting for the simpatico week where you're betting DFS and fantasy lineups hit. I've had some very good betting weeks. Last week, for instance, this past one was a very good week as I tied in some early teaser legs and also had Brown's money line basically across the board to start the week over the Broncos. And then we pushed that into a couple other uh, good parlays as well. Bad, terrible DFS week, though. It was just hard with so many team totals. I'm sure you talked about on your show last week of 30 plus points. It was just hard to get all of the offensive players I wanted into one lineup. And thus I just got confused no matter how long I looked at it. So still waiting to hit across the board, but overall still a very fun. And as you can attest, a very busy NFL season. It is. It's like we just spoke about then before we come on to record. It is nonstop from going into August, really the preseason games. It is from Sunday to the, then looking at the next week and, it is just, it's like a second job. I know you do it full-time, John, but for myself working in that, it's like a, a second full-time job that your mind is constantly racing, checking stats and that. But then I also love it and I, and I wouldn't change it. <laughs> so I can't complain. Right. I've had some good weeks this last week on the props, got absolutely drilled. Um, worst week of the season on on the props, went two and four on my prod, prop podcast. But um, even just other than that, it was just one of them weeks where, just didn't get anything right. Fortunately, landed on under 49 in the Packers game. And I'm still a little bit unsure if I was lucky there that I got under 49. Every every time I looked up, it seemed like Washington were driving and, and then giving the ball back to the Packers in the end zone. And I think anyone who maybe backed Washington, I know Rob Pozzolo, who was on last week, mentioned about having Washington as well and how they didn't cover. I think you'd feel a bit hard done by in that game. Yeah, Washington actually went 0 for 4 in the red zone uh, and obviously had those two plays where they're on the goal line, um, a fumble inside into the into the end zone. And then also the Heineke ghost call with his knee down at the one yard line, even though he was untouched sliding into the end zone. So just a, a bad streak of luck there for Washington backers. I was fortunate enough. One of my teaser legs was getting Washington um, or getting Green Bay under the field goal because they were eight, eight and half point favorites whenever you picked them up and put them with the Browns. So I was fortunate to get that win, but yeah, uh, I think Washington overall getting eight and a half was the right side. It's just, it went, it went very poorly uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah. I think that's right. As, as bad as it is, sometimes a losing bet can be totally the wrong side, but I I fully agree. I think Washington was the right side. It was just unfortunate. And it's strange. Josh Allen um, against Miami did the same thing slid and he's got pulled back and it got, the ball got placed just before the goal line um, a few weeks ago. Obviously, it's a new rule that has come in that if they're sliding, that once their leg or shin or whatever part is down there, their cluster's giving themselves up. Feels a little bit strange because he could have walked into the end zone and and that. But um, yeah, I suppose going forward that they might not do it again or maybe will. Um, Titans back-to-back big wins. Chiefs can't string together two wins together which doesn't help me as a fan, but um, they they were just purely outclassed, wasn't they, the Chiefs? Oh, 
they were absolutely embarrassed. I was so shocked too, since the Titans defense really hasn't even been a league average one this year. And so to just allow 4.9 yards per play against the Chiefs was insanity. And they they did it across the board. It was utter domination. They dominated them. Um, even in seeing the Titans, and I know it's been back-to-back good matchups, uh, Good matchup to say against the Bills two weeks ago, because although the Bills are clearly a tough matchup, still tops in EPA per drop back and success rate allowed through the air in defense, number one overall in those categories. Uh, it was still a tough spot for the Bills to turn around following like basically their Super Bowl in a big win against the Chiefs and show up in prime time again on Monday night against the Titans and be asked to win. So I wouldn't say that was surprising, but also the Titans played well enough, still played really well in that game. And then to see them clicking like the Titans of old with an increased rate of play action against the Chiefs this past week, they did the Titans, absolutely nothing wrong in that one. Um, I expected it to be a shootout and maybe the Titans to respond. I did not expect the Titans to literally dominate both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. So what a crazy sight to see. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this always say about me going on about the Chiefs and that, and I don't mean to, but it is quite a big story, obviously coming off back-to-back Super Bowls and that as well. But just something, not just how bad the defense is, just something feels off this year, and I keep saying it, and I know that they're they're doing well in the EPA and a lot of the other stats, but obviously I watch every game and just something just doesn't just doesn't feel right. It's like Reed comes up with so many marvelous plays, you know, so many plays that uh, sort of everyone wants to copy. And I just don't seem to see we just don't seem to have much of anything about this year. And once you take Hill and Kels away, the depth isn't there. I mean, Pringle got his yards on Sunday, but there's, it's just no one there really to move the needle. And I think we're really struggling. Then Mahomes is obviously trying to do, I don't know if he's getting a bit erratic and just seems to be constantly on the move again. And he said he was going to try not to do it. The problem is, is I think once you've got that in your head that you need to move and make something play, that's your first first thought and you're, you're often... I think it's becoming a problem and I don't think it's just the defensive side of the ball from what I'm watching. I I just feel there's a lot of problems here for the Chiefs going forward. And as much as you'd like to think that they should make the playoffs, they've got some tough games coming up. They've got the Packers to come, the Cowboys to come. I mean, would you want to bet them against the Giants Monday night? I I couldn't be betting on minus 10 the way they're playing. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a worry as a Chiefs fan. And just that t- opposing teams have blitzed Patrick Mahomes at a league low rate. They're allowing him to sit back because they know if they fire an extra cornerback, extra linebacker at them, he'll read his hot route and just send it flying to a tight end or wide receiver underneath every single time. So they all just sit back and play zone every single team against Mahomes. And you're seeing that Andy Reid and the Chiefs just don't have an answer for it. Um, having said that, prior to the Titans game, they were still first across the board offensively in every advanced metric you look at, whether it be third down conversion rate, red zone scoring percentage, um, yards per play, also EPA per drop back. Like they're still, in my opinion, the league's number one offense. The issue is they also have a league eye in turnovers. And some of those are faulty habits that Mahomes has developed. Uh, He's now had three games in a row, really, where he has the interception where he just makes a 
very poor decision while trying to extend plays because they're just grasping at all straws trying to catch up right now since their defense is unable to stop anyone. But also, like, we know turnovers are not consistent. They're more fluky than anything. So I would expect those numbers to regress down the stretch. And honestly, like, now it's not even about being the best team. It is about sneaking into the postseason since they're so far behind. And uh, it's odd to say that so far behind since we're only heading into week eight. But really, if they get into the postseason as the wild card team, like there's no way any of us would bet the opposing team. Let's say if like the Bengals or the Colts or Titans host the Chiefs, you're still picking the Chiefs every time. And so uh, it's more about like the Bucks did now trying to hang around into your buy and their buy is in week 12, even though they do admittedly need it right now, you got to hang around until then use the buy to figure it out. Take the 14 days rest to click like the bucks did last year and then come back strong and be the team that no one wants to play. That's all that matters. The issue is of course, like if the next five weeks until their buy, if they aren't hanging around and they continue losing, that becomes a major problem because then we won't even see them sneak in. Yeah, I fully agree. And I was about to say, if ever we needed a buy soon, it is now because they, they really do need to get in and, and have a look at what is what is happening and sort of readjust. But as you say, week 12, it's a long way off. Just hopefully they can pull off a couple of wins, get back to some sort of performances like they have done before in the bigger games against the Cowboys, the Packers, and hopefully pull out a few wins. And as you say, hang around and then come playoff time, no one's going to want to face them. As you said, they're, they're, they're one of them. Um, do you feel as well the difference this season between some of the, the better teams and the worst teams uh, is such a gulf? You know, when you think back a couple of years ago when you heard of double-digit spreads, it was nearly the norm to automatically bet the dog in double-digit spreads. But now you're seeing teams this season, like the Texans, the Jets, I mean, they're just getting absolutely whacked. Every week, I mean, you've seen the Cardinals cover 20 points this week. You see you see it come out a lot of times, Jets not covering. I mean, Detroit covered, obviously, as big dogs this week. But there just seems to be a bigger gulf this year in between on, on some of the games. I think very clearly, one, there are a lot of bad defenses in the league. Uh, two, there are a lot of injuries in the league. And three, there is a drop-off from the top of the teams. Like, yes, there is parity, but also there are, I would say, 25 teams who don't have a chance in hell at winning. And then there are like the big seven, the big eight that are we know going to be around at the end. Uh, even the Cardinals, who I still genuinely like don't want to fully buy into, but the fact that they are getting assistance from everyone like they don't need jj watt and aj green to be significant impactful full-time players they just need them to show up when they're asked to show up so for every you know three or four targets aj green gets just pull just haul in one big one downfield since you're their downfield option um jj watt when chandler jones is soaking up double coverage jj watt like he can still dominate one-on-one easily um he's just had to shed two or three pass protectors in the past with texans whenever he's not at that stage of his career so they are basically getting assistance from everyone right now. Um, but beyond that, we know it's the Rams, the Bucks. I still don't want to write the Packers off. The 49ers may be in over their head just in what's going on under center and also just being riddled with injuries, which I actually don't attribute that to luck. I know football outsiders and a lot of people do attribute injuries to luck. And in most cases, yes. But when it happens over and over again, um, this is the same thing we saw with Washington's organization for so long. It is either the training staff 
or the people in charge, the men with the keys. And in this case, Jim, uh, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have always not only drafted, but signed and played injured players. That's what happens. And guess what happens when you play injured players? They get re-injured. And so this is actually not a coincidence, I believe, that we're seeing with the 49ers and how they're so banged up every single year. I genuinely think it's because of the way Shanahan and Lynch run their team. And so overall, just, just like that, and then of course we know the murderers row in the AFC between Lamar and the Ravens, the Bills, of course, the Chiefs, the Chargers who have entered the fray. If the Browns get healthy, I still think the pieces they have in play Place, uh, even with the minds and their coaching staff are contenders as well. So still the big eight, a, a big top tier for me, and then a significant drop off to the next median team. And, and are we at the height now of the Bengals, would you say, before moving into week eight, would you say sort of with, with how they're performing? I mean, and, they, and they've played really well this season. I was really down on them. Gladly admit that I've definitely got that wrong and their defense has been really well, but would you say they're at their height now, or do you think they could get into being anything contenderish? I think they are peaking, but we have seen that Joe Burrow uh, has been absolutely amazing against the Blitz, Blitz this year. Heading into that Ravens game, he actually had he had was averaging ten and a half yards per attempt with six touchdowns against the Blitz, and then. We know Wink Martindale sends the fourth highest rate of blitzes, and they did so again. They sent blitzes at Burrow, and he actually threw three touchdowns, three of his touchdowns, um, against Baltimore, against the blitz. And so just to even be under pressure and still be so poised, uh, they're doing a lot of incredible things, and they clearly have the receiving talent. And not only Jamar Chase, but T. Higgins as well, Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan, lots of talented individuals there. Even, but I would still say uh, you have to get it done. You have to prove it before uh, you're taken seriously. And again, when it comes down to the murderer's row, like everything behind the Bills, Ravens, Chiefs, and Chargers um, is cute to me. Like, that's it, good. Like, I'm glad to yeah. see we have contenders. We have teams that are competitive. But also, like, let's see you knock off one of those before you take you seriously. I don't even want to take the Bills seriously, honestly, because remember, um, last year, in a game that was close, like they were good enough to hang with the Chiefs last year. And they did so, except for the fact that Sean McDermott, their coach, kicked three field goals on fourth and short situations, fourth and two or shorter, three different times, two inside the 10-yard line, and one was a 37-yard field goal, I believe. Uh, just saying that they're not ready to win, because if you want to win, you have to go into Arrowhead and try to win. You can't just kick field goals on, on fourth and short situations like that, because that's not how you beat the Chiefs. So this two weeks ago, when the Bills routed the Chiefs, they weren't in those decisions for... Um, where you needed to make crucial like choices and the correct ones to win. That's why I think in a close game, uh, the Cowboys would probably fail because Mike McCarthy still makes boneheaded <laughs> in-game decisions weekly. And I still question like if the Bills uh, uh, would coach to win rather than coaching to lose. Okay. Yeah, and that's right. And that's exactly probably what helped the Chargers beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead with Brandon Stanley. Absolutely. That is exactly why, yes. Um, 100%. So, uh, quick fantasy side point of view. How did you feel about Jamar Chase with all, obviously, the smoke in the preseason, with the struggles, with the with the different balls to college and, and all that, to now, obviously, what he's actually doing during the season? Was you down on him 
with all that news, was you John, or was it was you still buying him uh, with the drop? I was still buying him, but you could have bought him at wide receiver eighteen to twenty four. Uh, whereas now, like I did not expect him to be the wide receiver four in fantasy points per game like he is now. Uh, I was talking about it with Elvin Silva of Establisher Run the other night, and you genuinely can make, it's actually not hard, it's easy to make the case for Jamar Chase as the wide receiver four overall and fantasy drafts next year. So put that puts him probably at the end of the first round, middle of the first round, yeah. behind Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and Cooper Cup right now. Now, we still have a whole half of a season to go, but that's how good Jamar Chase has been. Yeah, definitely. He's been been absolutely – just an auto bet, his longest catch every week has been for us on a prop side of things. And I thought it was over 26.5 this week. And just before halftime, he got a 26-yard catch and thought, oh, God, here we go again. 26, lose on the hook. And that, and then he come up with the 80-yarder and say, Levine, we didn't need to worry about it. One of the shining moments of the week. Um. Moving on to week eight then, John. I'll let you start with a bet that you like for for this week. I would like to open with the Titans and Colts game because it did open at 47 and a half. I got it early around 48. It has since been bet up to 49 and a half, but I, I think I'm fairly comfortable with it up to 50 and a half, 51 points because – Remember, we talked about Tennessee being a faux defense and we don't understand outside of the Chiefs turnovers and just the mess they are, how they limited Kansas City to 4.9 yards per play. Because prior to that, uh, Zach Wilson had 297 yards in a win against the against the Titans secondary. Trevor Lawrence, remember, had 273 yards in a good game as well. And then Josh Allen, of course, multiple touchdowns, three of them, and 353 yards passing through the air against the Titans. And so this is still a very poor defense for me. And although this is a rematch, this game from week three, Carson Wentz was banged up. The Colts had numerous injuries. The Colts weren't using Jonathan Taylor as they are now. He's run a route on over 60% of Wentz's dropbacks as a pass-catching threat as well in the past two games. And Wentz averaging 3.3 carries per game with multiple touchdowns since week four, since he's been fully healed. And so I think with everyone clicking on full cylinders, whether we get T.Y. Hilton or not, even though he would certainly help the cause with a 20% target share in his only appearance this year, um, I think this game is primed to go over. Perfect. Love it. I uh, I think Wentz is playing. Wentz is playing really well at the minute. Re- mm-hmm. Really good. A lot. Of, very surprising. Just shows you. Obviously, he was obviously really hurt at the start of the season. I think they've got some nice weapons. Michael Pittman Jr. Really good. As you say, you ideally want someone like Ty Hilton in in there for you. It just obviously helps it. And that Titans defense is easily to be gotten at. And then on the other side, coming back, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, obviously should be a bit more healthier. He played played okay against Chiefs. I think he would have probably had a bigger game. The game script didn't need to go that way. And then when you've got Derek Henry, uh, I mean, you just that, that he could explode. <laughs> he could explode at any point. Right. So uh, so yeah, I think it's a really good division game to have. It's a really good close betting game as well. Um, but yeah, I think that you've got two very good defenses. And I think you can get at that Colts secondary as well. I think that that's, that's easily be passable on. I think Tannehill, I think if he had wanted to against the Chiefs, if it was close enough, probably would have thrown for over 400 against us if he had needed to. He didn't need to because the game was done. But uh, with the amount of weapons they have, I could only look to the overs. So I like it. And it's 48 and a half, you said, John, at the minute. 
It is 49 and a half. Oh, oh, 40. Okay, yeah, I see 49 and a half, but okay. I'm not sure what you have. But again, I'd be comfortable with it up to 50 and a half, 51. Yeah, yeah, 49 and a half. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because once you get to 51, you got the key number, haven't you? So, um, so anything like you say up to 51 is ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on to, on to a bet that I've I've done is I've bet the LA Chargers minus five and a half. Uh, coming off their buy on the extra added rest, and the Pats, I'm still not sure that they're in the same caliber as what. The Chargers are. I mean, they, yeah, they hammered the Jets, but the Jets are just awful at the minute. They've had tough, they're tough games. They've obviously lost against the Cowboys and the Bucks. But I think going on the road, even without the home field advantage, I just, the Chargers think both sides are going to be too strong for them in this game. I think they match up too good for them. I think the Chargers' pass defense is, is good. It's held a lot of very good offenses down, apart from maybe the last two games against the um, the Browns and the Ravens. But the Patriots' offense is not in the caliber of the offenses that the Chargers have played this season. And I just don't see them causing them enough problems, whereas the Chargers think hopefully Mike Williams, hopefully after the bye week, will come back more more rested and, and more fitter. Keenan Allen, they've just got so many weapons there. I just think that they'll quote back to winning ways and win going away in this game. I, I just can't be having the Patriots coming off a smashing of the Jets. Also, the Chargers have allowed the fewest plays of 15 plus yards through the air by a significant margin. Um, I do wonder if they spent the buy shoring up their run defense, even in the slightest. All their yeah. run defense has to do is be league average. They don't need to be good. They need to be league mm-hmm. average. And I bet and being embarrassed by the 2010 All-Star roster of Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, and Devontae Freeman prior to the bye, that's what they spent the week doing. So I bet they came out quite strong gang-tackling Damian Harris. And if it's going to come down to Mac Jones and the offense making explosive plays to get it done, uh, I just don't think you can do that against the Chargers secondary. So I agree. And uh, do you you think that the Patriots have got a, a strong enough running game like I say, the Chargers' rush defense is is awful, and it was another thought that sort of played into it that Harris is good, but I don't know if the pitch. Do you feel that they've got a strong enough running game to to exploit that enough? If the Chargers play the same game plan, but again, now that they're coming off their bye, uh, I I guarantee you that is the hole they shored up. That is what they practice on feeling and getting better at over the bye week. So. I, I bet they're going to do a quite a good job covering Damien Harris. So I don't think it's good enough for the Patriots. No. Good. good. Okay, John, moving on to, I know you've got a second selection. I've only got the one this week. So we'll go on to your second. And I actually prefer this one. If you told me to rank them over okay. the, the first one, the over, but the Falcons, I know otherwise, maybe we're looking for a bounce back spot for Sam Darnold. Um, but honestly, like we've seen that he's had four really good matchups the past month. And in that time, he's completed 50%, 56% of his passes for just 5.6 yards per attempt and eight total turnovers 
in that span. Not only that, but from a clean pocket, he's actually completed just 62% of his passes for 6.1 yards per attempt and four picks in that span too. So it's not even just about him being under pressure where he's averaging less than four yards per attempt. He's been horrific under pressure as he's been his whole career, but also even when he's standing upright and not under duress, he's not hitting his throws at all. Uh, hence why Robbie Anderson's receiving yards are just so low compared to the 25 targets he's seen um, in the past two games. So I like the Falcons, even though they struggle to get a pass rush, I don't think you need it. I like the Falcons quite a bit at three or anything less than that. Yeah, that's right. Currently two and a half. I've, I've never been a Sam Darnold fan. and I know a lot of it was they were saying about Adam Gaze and that. Said when they when he went to Carolina, I just did not think he'd be a success. For me, he has one throw at the middle of the field, his slot, and that that's it. That's his best throw. Is is throwing to the slot. I think he's outside, as you said, with Robbie Anderson. He's just he's just he just cannot make them throws. And the left side of that offensive line is absolutely awful. I mean, it is just brutal. And as you say, with Atlanta, they might not be a team that can get a lot of pressure, but. I would expect they'll get some pressure this week on that side. It's just so bad. And um, yeah, there's just nothing I want at all about this Carolina team without Christian McCaffrey in there to give them any sort of spark. Donald is just not going to be able to carry them for me um, to be able and, to do And it. honestly, that's what I attribute it to as well. If they had their full strength of receivers and their supporting cast, I'd be just fine still playing Darnold and um, betting with the Panthers. But the fact is they're so bereft of talent right now. It's literally just two guys. It's DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and he has zero rapport and cannot connect. And he's throwing inaccurate targets to Robbie Anderson, even uh, behind the scenes. Like if you look at pro football focuses, inaccurate targets by a quarterback, Darnold is high up there to Robbie Anderson in particular. And so without Christian McCaffrey, without even a guy, like Dan Arnold, a sneaky threat at tight end. Yeah. It, it's just so fewer offensive bodies than we were promised initially and how Darnold was so good in the first three games of the year. So now I'm basically just out on the team until proven otherwise. And it shows the schedule of them first three games as well. I mean, it, it really, mm -hmm. it was a bit of a cakewalk for them and maybe, maybe got, um, overvalued based on, on that. And now it's come back to strike them. I think Atlanta's past defense actually hasn't given up many big time plays either. I think when I was quickly looking before we came on, I don't think they've gave up many big, big 20, a big amount of 20 plus passing plays and 40 plus passing plays. I'm pretty sure they're sort of one of the, the better teams against that from what I was just looking at beforehand. So, which obviously always helps, but as I say, when his throws are off target that deep, it, Probably doesn't matter too much anyway. But yeah, I, I like Atlanta. And now with Cole Pitts, obviously, now flying. Uh -huh. um, hopefully, you'll get Calvin Ridley more involved. He was, um, I don't know what happened with the personal problems with the London. And then last week, he didn't have the best game against Miami, whether that was, again, due to the fact Miami's cornerback's coming back and they've just done a good job on him. Um, Patterson's having a brilliant season for them. There's a lot more to like about Atlanta going forward for me than there is. Carolina. Um, so I, I put somebody sent in a, a message of Prop King to ask about the Panthers Falcons. So that was quite good that we've covered that. A couple of other games just to just to have a, a breakdown of John. Um, obviously Thursday night we've got the Packers Cards game, which is probably one of the better Thursday night games we've had for the whole season. Would you say Adams is for me? 
he's probably the most unreplaceable wide receiver to how the Packers set up offensively for me in the, in the NFL. I don't know how I, you feel about him. Or not about him, sorry, or, or what that does to the team for the game, should I say. So, yes, I think what he does is special. Also, I don't think he's worth three points. I mean, three no. points in an NFL game is a significant amount. So to see them be three, three and a half point um, dogs to all the way to jump up to six points just because of one player, one receiver, that to me is is wild. And so uh, I am looking for that number to increase. Books probably will not allow it to get to a touchdown, but I probably will be packing it into teaser legs to start my week. Um, I like the Packers with the points quite a bit, honestly. Yeah, I um, I, I think some of that, I wonder if some of that was a little bit of an, an overreaction to think that I wouldn't, if they thought more COVID um, news would come out on other players mm-hmm. around them and maybe that bumped it up a little bit more. As you say, there's no way they can let it get to seven. I'll, I'll be I'll be shocked at that. The buyback that everyone would have on Packers at seven would be too much. I, I don't see them doing that. But it is. If, if it's based on three points on Adams, it's way too much. I think Drew Dinsick made a good point that if the line was two and a half before that news, it would have moved to three and a half, which would have been a point, which would have been fair. Um, I think it moving, it's probably moved through a couple of dead numbers that probably aren't as irrelevant, but um, it is too much. I just think as in Adams for the wide receiver standpoint, for what he brings to that Packers offense is is more than I, I find any wide receiver at the minute in, in the league. I don't think the Packers have got a great amount of skill players after him, apart from Aaron Jones, but that's more running back. Just at wide receiver, I mean, with the Chiefs, the easy option is to say Hill because of his speed and how you have to compensate for that. But the Chiefs have still got Kelsey you have to compensate for. There's there's other things. Adams, for me, is the best one out there um, for it. That's that's why, why I sort of was, was thinking how, how much it sort of, He's sort of a hard person for how much Rodgers trusts in him for who he finds now to step up and and take that role in this game sort of thing. And that's just it, right? It's it's Adams. Uh, as great of a player as he is, it's not Aaron Rodgers. We would be having a total different conversation if it was someone trying to throw to Adams rather than Aaron Rodgers still getting Alan Lazard, perhaps Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Robert Tanyan, who has – increased rates and splits across the board and six games he's played without Devontae Adams the past couple of years or the past three years. So yeah, overall, um, I honestly think they're going to be just fine. I think it's going to be a much closer game than people ex- expect. Okay, good, good. The The other one that I just wanted to speak about was the Bengals-Jets game. There's this classic letdown spot for the Bengals. Um, well, favoured nine and a half on the road as much as I say about the Jets and I've said a few times tonight about how bad they are we've obviously just signed Joe Flacco do we feel nine and a half are we there yet on the Bengals to be trusting that nine and a half after coming off such a a, a victory against the Ravens and then the Browns next week it seems a, a horrible spot I'm seeing it at 10 and a half and 10 at some spots um, I'm interested I'm interested at 10, 10 and a half in the Jets uh, it is like the ultimate, you know, when you do this so many, so many times, so many years, you just see spots that you're like, well, this team was this hot. Um, and I liked the Bengals last week uh, in the, in the big Vegas contest. I have a few partners. Bengals were our pick 
Um, and I also sprinkled a little bit on their money line. It just seemed like a good spot for an upset prior to the Ravens buy. Whereas this is the opposite. Like, I don't think the Jets will upset, but to hang around for the full game after that big blow up spot for the Bengals, basically their Super Bowl and divisional showdown. Um, yeah, I think the Jets getting 10 or 10 and a half points if it reaches that far at your book is, is good. Even with Mike White, and I understand he only averaged 6.3 yards per attempt um, through two picks in the interim, I would just imagine a, a safer game plan where he can just dump the ball off and hopefully move the ball that way since they know they're going to be under duress in the pocket and just need to script a game plan more safer, really, for Mike White. Last year, Adam Gase would not have done that. This coaching staff, though, I do have faith that they're just going to try to slow this one down and, like, hopefully play the volatility of football and get a couple turnovers and win that win a low-scoring affair. Um, so, yeah, if it's, like I said, if it's double-digit points, I like that a lot for the Jets. Do, do you think, as well, with, with them only just trading for Flacco, do you think we, we won't see Flacco then this week? Do you think that's more brought in for going forward with obviously the injury to Wilson uh, maybe the following week and letting him get, because obviously he was at the Jets. So he's probably, I know it's different coaching staff, but Mm -hmm. do you think he needs a week to sort of get up to speed maybe with some of the stuff? Right. That's exactly why I think he is Um, just a veteran presence in the room and also another body uh, available behind white to replace Wilson, who seems like he's going to be out for, you know, six weeks or whatever, a pretty, a pretty substantial amount of time. So that's exactly how I'm looking at it as well. I don't expect him to start unless Mike White is just very bad, which could happen. Could ease. It's, I mean, it's Mike White. It's, he's replaceable. Um, yeah. But I would expect White to get the start initially, at least. Okay, perfect. Um, just a couple of questions for you, John, if you don't mind. I've got one sent in from football with Milo asking about the Bears disaster and can they do anything to right it? Is it a case of that until Nagy goes that it won't be replaceable or do you see it as uh, something that they, they can change while he's still there? There's just no rhyme or reason to what they do. Uh, their runs don't set up play action. Their play action don't set up runs. Their 13 personnel doesn't set up um, play action, like hiding tight ends. It, they're, they're just, there's no reason to their play calling whatsoever, which is why they're a disaster. They're third in the league in plays per game, third fewest plays per game, I should say. They also are averaging the fewest pass attempts per league. Um, it just doesn't make sense what they do, honestly. Like Khalil Herbert was an accident almost for them finding him because yeah. he's looked incredible the past two weeks, but that's a running game. And they don't need that. They need to help out Justin Fields in any way possible. And it's just not exciting, nor is it creative whatsoever in 2021 when you have to score points to win. So overall, no, um, it's it's literally just that, Milo. It is a disaster. Even last week for Allen Robinson, you know, um, for fantasy, you would expect if I told you Fields threw a season-high 32 pass attempts and also 18 receivers, 18 of the top 50 in fantasy points per game were either injured or on bye in week seven. And yet Allen Robinson still finished not only as the wide receiver 69 on the entire week, but also had a season low 12.5% target share. Just an absolute disaster. He's basically a wide receiver five every week. And it's not due to him. I still don't really believe it's due to Justin Fields' lack of talent. It's just genuinely the coaching staff and the position they're putting their players in every week. And so it's an unfixable mess right now. And long-term, 
I don't know if Nagy's going. I don't know if Pace is going because Pace is very good friends um, with the family and owners of the team. It's just this year is clearly a lost cause. Yeah, I, uh, I, Robinson was one of my main bets on the prop podcast that I did last week. I felt the game against the Bucks with how that secondary was. I thought Fields, this should be one of the more of the better matchups for him. I said the same. I said I don't think it's Robinson that is the problem. A lot of people spoke beforehand that this is a Rob, Rob, Robinson get right game. But I don't think it needs to be a Robinson get right game because I don't think he is the problem. Um, but it, it, again, it was just he took a couple of shots at him, but it just it, it yeah, they're just whatever is going on, it is not working. And I think, do you think with how it's going with Matt Nagy there? coming from the Andy Reid coaching tree that the lack of success of the offensive side of it is hurting Eric Bieniemy as well on that you know because i i believe that Reid calls a hell of a lot of plays in that Kansas City offense and he'll never say it. he always he is always been um, a, a player's coach a coach's coach that the good plays, he always gives the credit to Biennemi. He gave it to Matt Nagy. He gave it to, who was the Philadelphia coach that got fired? I can't remember his name now. Doug uh, Peterson? Doug Peterson. He, he seemed to always give, say they made the good plays and when it was a bad play, he made the bad plays. I, I don't believe that for a second. I think Andy Reid calls a lot more plays than what we give credit for. He's got a lot of coaches, a lot of jobs. And I think the way that Matt Nagy has run this offense not well at all, is a bit worrying, I think, maybe for people coming out of Kansas City that um, that are, are under the offensive side. I'm not sure how you feel in regards to that. I totally agree. Uh, Nagy basically got the benefit of the doubt in coaching under Andy Reid for his career in Kansas City. Um, very sparsely sprinkled in to do play calling duties. And that's essentially what he is or what he thinks he is in Chicago when he's not a good play caller at all. Um, like Anthony Lynn, I would argue Matt Nagy is a better character coach and someone who is more of a guy that uh, teaches young players to become men as opposed to actually handling everything in the offense. Um, he doesn't need to be schematically doing that at all. So no, uh, I just think he's in over his head as a play caller, honestly, but also unfortunately, like a lot of people in the NFL has too big of an ego and too much hubris to pass off those duties to Bill Lazor, who, which is what he specializes in. So that's why it's, it's such a mess every single week. Yeah, definitely. A question I've got sent in from Best Ball UK. He's asked, well, we know over unders and handicaps can be, um, can, can be good to be aware for fantasy, but is there any other betting line that more people should pay attention to when making fantasy decisions? Mm, I mean, I, I factor in so much and then try to dwindle down all of my decisions by end of week. But if you're nitpicking players, uh, I prefer to lean on team totals and overs. Uh, that's why I listen to betting podcasts. That's why I listen to NFL and breakdowns. I listen to everything just because that actually helps in my decision-making process as well. Like knowing which game sharp bettors are betting on the over for, um, that is more actionable to me than just looking at a total, a raw total and saying, oh, well, like Vikings Cowboys, the highest on the board. I like that game. Don't get me wrong, but also like, it, it, 
I, if they're if a, if the totals increasing and I know a bunch of sharper people are talking about a game going over because both defenses or whatever have injuries or can't stop the other like that's actually what makes fantasy and DFS um, more profitable so I, I've taken all, everything into account and then just you have to make sure you sift all the garbage out because there is a lot of information and it's just a matter yep. of what information you hold on to to make your decisions. But that's usually what I use, honestly, Before between that and, you know, the typical fantasy stats and whatnot. Yeah, that's great. 100% because there's some high totals in, in games and you can fancy the over, you can fancy the under, and that will have a bearing on exactly. your fantasy players. If you fancy the under, there's no point, just because it's a high, high total, there's no point in taking them players just on that basis if you really can make a case for the game going under. Well, you might prefer a game going over 44. You're better off attacking the players in an over 44 than a game that's over, say, 52, and you fancy it to go under. Um, but it's quite strange because you're right, John, you say about listening to betting podcasts. Now, um, and I do the same And from the player prop side of it. I like listening to the fantasy side of it because even those players can have a good fantasy week by getting the touchdowns and that. I think there is a lot to be had for fantasy and player prop side of of betting do you do a lot of your fantasy research does that then factor into your betting on the prop side of it mm, some of it yeah um nowadays so many friends like good friends like establish the run uh four for four they have such good projections john paulson's projections are amazing mike leone's and andrew wiggins and established runs projections are amazing and so i think you use projections honestly to get ahead on props as well but there are some things i, I think people don't see um for instance and it didn't help me out last night well mostly because jason myers missed two field goals but uh like in showdown lineups in dfs last night i saw that adam troutman from my own research had run a, and no one was talking about Adam Troutman, but I saw he had run a route on 60% of James Winston's dropbacks in the game before the bye. Winston also had a season high pass attempts prior to last night in that game before the bye. And the, that route rate was actually the highest Troutman had run since week one. And so I figured, okay, like if they're upping their passing game all of a sudden um, and getting Troutman more involved like he was in week one, then he probably has a higher ceiling. And he did have three catches. One of them, unfortunately, was a fumble. Um, but overall, just little things like that, I notice, and I'll still lean intuition over like the data every time. I think using your gut feeling is much more important because you take in typically someone researching DFS or fantasy, you take in enough information over the week um, that you could lose some of it throughout the week as well if you're not writing it down or jotting it somewhere. And so uh, I'll always actually just lean my gut and intuition over what the spreadsheet tells me. I just think that's honestly the better, the best way to go because everyone sees the same thing when they're looking at a spreadsheet, like nothing differentiates anything, but um, your gut is unique to you. Like your intuition is unique to you. And uh, if you're someone who knows that following that information is sometimes right, like that's how I'll still get an edge on the field sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I have to laugh because I did this exactly the same with Troutman. <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> Bet him score, touchdown, everything. I thought it all looked all quite good for him. How how the increase was. So it's right there. It was, with J you it was Jason Myers. I had Jason Myers and he missed two two fifty <laughs> yards, I believe. Yeah. And uh yeah, that's what and those are five points on DK. That's what really got me. Best me. And in regards to the person who asked that question, best ball, um, the UK is is really good with his best ball. And I, I think you might have spoke to him a few times before, John, but he does oh, I, I, respect, I respect work. the hell out of him. No, he's great. Yeah. He's great at what he does. I'm I'm glad he's promoting the project so good across across seas. 
Yeah, he is. He is really good. Really nice lad. Always approachable and that for people listening. Definitely well worth a, a follow. Um, how much time do you spend in between handicapping and fantasy? Is it sort of start of the week, handicapping, going into fantasy for the rest of the week? or It is... Yeah, handicapping, and then so I write the waiver column on NBC Sports Edge every Tuesday morning, and um, that means I have to turn the entire week around essentially by Tuesday morning. That includes injuries, like COVID list probabilities, um, results, and data from Sunday. And so I, I, I mean, I have to do so much in forty-eight hours time and make sure like I cover all angles that. Yeah, it'll be handicapping to a lighter extent. I know the games I like. Then I'll bet those on Sunday, hoping to get some closing line value on them early. And then I'll go into all my fantasy stuff, like charting the targets and the routes run and the the touches and all that stuff and figuring out snaps and plays per game and everything. And then I will mostly, once I figure out injuries and waiver wire stuff, then on Tuesday night, and Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning especially, that's when I get into more matchup-based stuff. And um, sometimes I'll find a like a line that's still hanging around that I think is good just from the extra work I'm doing in matchups. And then from there, you follow news reports um, and see what the injuries are happening and uh, see where lines are going and talk. You know, I talk to my friends as well. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a lot of like sharp betting group chats and know a lot of sharp people. And then uh, I'll see like what the conversation is hovering around. And so from there, by Friday afternoon, I would have adjusted for all that. And I can say, OK, like I like I like to make these decisions in DFS and fantasy because I like these teams and these games for sure. Um, and then I'm pretty much done betting on Saturday. I try not to bet Saturday or Sunday morning and not to make like bad decisions last minute. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say by Friday afternoon, I'm finalized, but Sunday through Tuesday, I don't breathe and I try to jam it all in. <laughs> I, 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 I do not miss it. I mean, I, I do it all myself. So it, it is, it is just like a constant grind, but uh, again, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, last co- couple of questions. Um, long-term best bet, if you had to place a bet now, anything that you like, whether it be uh, MVP, Super Bowl, anything that you would have as a long-term bet left of the season? I still like the Chiefs. I still I still think they uh, either them making the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl, just your futures bet, I still think is the best bet you can make on the board, and I hope they get the turnovers figured out. Wow, I hope you're all right, John, on that one more than anything. So um, a team that will and won't make the playoffs at the minute. So a team that are in there and a team that are, are not in there, anyone that you'd have? Hmm. Let me, I'm trying to think sort about. Of dropping you on that, yeah. Yeah, I need to think about the standings. Like standings are really like one thing I don't mm. look at often no. and really quick. Uh, okay, yeah. so let's see here. Right, rank. Okay. Um, I don't think the Raiders will make it. Uh, Derek Carr is playing really well, in particular against man-to-man coverage, but I, I still think his performance is somewhat farce. Uh, a poor Broncos team two weeks ago, and then and probably even worse Eagles team this past week, I think is blowing up his performances uh, slightly above proportion. And then 
are the Browns? Yeah, the Browns are in it right now. Okay. Um, let's say we can't see the Falcons just yet. Uh, how many teams are in front of the 49ers, the Rams and the Cardinals? Oh, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> I have so many futures in the 49ers too. It's very frustrating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like Garoppolo has performed just so bad. Yeah. Uh, I will say the Colts sneak in and win the division. What about that? Okay. Nice. Nice. Like that. Uh, and- I, I did. I did actually bet that, uh, two weeks ago, because the no, only because the numbers were off. I still like the Titans actually, but the Titans were minus two fifty, I believe, to win the division yeah. with a two game lead, and the Colts were plus two seventy five, and it just didn't make sense since they still had to play each other one more time, basically canceling out two games. And yeah. so, um, I just took the line value there, uh, and I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know that like both teams could be good or bad. We're still not sure, and so the value was good enough for me to bet that. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think both teams easily could be good or bad, and have big ramifications come towards the end of the season with this percentage of Wentz games and the pick that goes to Philadelphia. With actually how that how that pans out, if they're up there and challenging, it'll obviously get over the seventy five percent because they'll keep on going. If if they lose, maybe to the Titans and maybe slip up another one or two games, they might have to make a decision whether they carry on playing him or or what goes on. Um, for the fantasy folk out there. Who would be a player you would try and get now if if you could for the rest of the season? And is there a player you would you don't want any part of? Uh, I mean, Allen Robinson. We talked about him already. Um, I'm fine dropping him. I'm also fine moving on from Mike Davis. Uh, we've seen Mike Davis touch or share of backfield touches drop, decrease in every game this year. So much so that it led to last week's. 19% backfield touch share, just four carries, an absolute disaster. Whereas Cordell Patterson is being used at wide receiver more. He is running more routes out wide, but he's still seeing his carries increase. So it's like he's becoming basically their every down running back who it does everything like a Swiss army knife, whereas Davis is just getting eliminated off the field because he can only be a running back. And so, yeah, like Allen Robinson, and Mike Davis, the two players I'm just fine with moving on from. I prefer uh, Kitty Gainwell to Mike Davis for the rest of the season. Okay, perfect. Well, just to finish up, it's a little bit of a get to know the guests round. John, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Nothing too hard, nothing too serious. So just a, a bit of fun I like to do with the guests at the end of the podcast. So... Which do you prefer, fantasy or hang- handicapping? Uh, fantasy still. Favorite music? I With this country voice, I, of course, love uh, hardcore hip-hop the most. <laughs> nice. Favorite drink? Uh, uh, alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Uh, or whatever's your favorite. Alcoholic's fine with me. I mean, I practically, I love a good latte, but then um, alcoholic, my favorite, I drink a lot of wine, but my favorite cocktail would be anything involving mezcal. I like mezcal, smoke, and spice. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. A lot of than myself. Favorite holiday destination? Hmm. That is a good one. Uh, I'm still very partial in the summer to Banff, Alberta, Canada. Every August, I go there for like a week-long nice. hut hike. 
where you just walk up, you know, you go 10 to 20 miles out and then um, you stay there for a few days on the top of the mountain and then hike back down with like less in your backpack. Uh, just the outdoors in general, like the woods and everything. That's, that's my scene. I love hiking. Nice. Love it. Favorite food. I'll go genre food and I'll say Indian. Uh, okay. My favorite type of food Gosh, which is weird considering I love Indian, but I think I think still good old hot wings are like the best food. Yeah, like definitely. you can never go wrong with good wings or a good steak. Definitely, yeah, I love Indian food as well. Who's yeah. the better cook, you or Evan Silver? Oh, it's not even close to me. It's not even close. <laughs> he he would tell you the same thing too. I I cook uh, I cook a couple times a week for us whenever I get some free time at the end of the week. A lot of steaks, but I'll also do a lot of pasta and things as well. Nice favorite time of the year. Thanksgiving. Um, you have to be around family. Also, the food is incredible. And uh, it's like the one time of year I get to go back and really see all my old friends as well, who like I still vacation with sometimes, take golfing trips around the country with in the summer. So uh, yeah, I, I love Thanksgiving. Love it. It's the one thing I've incorporated over here. Every Thanksgiving, I do it with myself, my wife and my two daughters. Every year, we Thanksgiving, we do it. Watch the, Then I watch the games and that. But it's nice to have the turkey, full dinner, um, get the girls a little, just a little something and that to be thankful for. There's just to keep a, a, a thing going throughout our life sort of thing. There's been a movement recently that, um, you know, turkey and stuffing and all of that food, all the Thanksgiving food, pumpkin pie is bad. Like, don't listen to that. Like that, that food is incredible. I do not trust the people that tell you turkey is bad. Definitely. I make my own pumpkin pie every year for it. So I, uh, yeah, fully endorse it. Yeah. I'm, Oh, we like the old pumpkin pie, must the pumpkin pie. So I like making it. Uh, favorite sports movie? Uh, Major League. Nice. And uh, football, pod- oddly enough, I know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, podcast that you'd recommend that you're not um, involved with? Oh, so, so many. Um, so I don't offend my friends. I'm not going to say a football podcast. Uh, <laughs> I will say the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, I absolutely love it. It is everything on philosophy to work skills, to breathing skills, to workout methods, to investing. It's just a very smart individual who invites all his very talented and like rich entrepreneur friends on. And um, I've learned so much from it over the years. Wow. Love it. John, really appreciate you coming on. If you could tell everyone where they can find you. NBCSportsEdge.com and on Twitter at NotJDaigle. Uh, I do the waiver wire column on Tuesdays. And then if you want to hear more football takes, for instance, like betting, we do a preview show on a good football show. Literally, it's called Good Football Show on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast to. We do preview shows on Wednesday and Thursday where we do talk about betting as well. So tune into those. Also a DFS show on Friday with myself and teammate Kyle Dvorak. And I'd love to see everyone there. Brilliant. Love it. Appreciate it. Really thankful for your time. I know you're busy and, and everything that you do. So really, really I'm thankful, John, for you coming on. Everyone else, appreciate you listening as always. Any feedback, reviews, ratings, always appreciate. I'll be back on Friday night with the player props side of the podcast. Hopefully get back onto winning ways after last week. Other than that, thank you all for listening. John, thanks again. Thanks again.